Today's episode of The Dad Chronicle is brought to you by Peak Tea. Peak has an incredible selection of teas that support a healthy immune system, healthy digestion, calm energy, and healthy weight management. The matcha is incredible. It's a great coffee alternative with sustained energy to get you through those hectic days. And also, it's crafted by a Japanese tea master. There are only 15 of them in the world. Get your tea at peaktea.com. That's spelled P-I-Q-U-E-T-E-A.com. And use code ALEXA5 at checkout to get 5% off your order. Again, that's spelled P-I-Q-U-E-T-E-A.com. And use code ALEXA5 at checkout. Welcome back to the Dad Chronicle. I'm your host, Alex Albisu. This is episode 131. Oh, summertime. I love summer. It's great because we get to play outside, we get to go to the pool, but there's a lot of heat. The sun is blaring down on our kids, and how do we keep them safe? Well, today I've got some answers for you, and that's because I've invited Dr. Jerry Tolbert, who's been on the show before, to talk about some tangible ways that we can keep our kids safe in the summer. First, we talk about the benefits of vitamin D. Vitamin D is what we call a fat-soluble vitamin, and if you get too much of it, it's actually not good for you either. So not enough or too much can both be bad. Next, we talk about some tangible ways to protect your kids from sun damage. And SPF 15 is actually sufficient to protect you if you put it on the right way, but most people don't put them on the right way, and it's a problem that it's really hard to fix. And finally, we take time to understand how air quality affects us and our kids and how to deal with it. In really bad cases, can lead to to folks with COPD or asthma having severe attacks or ending up in the hospital or, or you know, worst case scenario, having having issues with, with breathing. Here's my conversation with Dr. Jerry Tolbert. Dr. Jerry Tolbert, welcome back to the Dad Chronicle. How are you today? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Happy to have you here. You are a familiar face to the show or voice if, you, if you're, you know, a regular <laughs> podcast listener. And uh, I wanted to give, first of all, a moment to you to introduce yourself to folks in case this is the first time that they're hearing you. So how would you introduce yourself to them? Uh, so I am Dr. Jerry Tolbert. I'm a family medicine physician recently relocated to Fort Myers, Florida, practicing in a community health center here in the coming months. And I have been doing family medicine for about mm, going on 13 years now. Wow. And I have uh, three small children, two six-year-olds and an eight-year-old, soon to be two seven-year-olds and a nine-year-old. Um, That's crazy. They're getting so big, man. And if, if right? people like remember you coming on the show, I mean, you've been on the show in a... A variety of different ways from telling your own story to talking about vaccines and mm -hmm. other medical, um, you know, knowledge and expertise that you've brought to this show. So again, we're bringing you on to talk about, you know, now that it's summer, what should people be doing and thinking about, especially with their kids around staying safe in the sun? So again, appreciate you being on the show and talking about this. Let's start with uh, the, the first thing, some of the basics, the foundation, what we get from the sun, vitamin D, and, and what that is, how it's beneficial to us. Do you mind educating a bit? Uh, not at all. So so vitamin D is a structural component of a lot of different things. It's uh, It's part of a, the steroid hormone synthesis pathway, and that's just big words, fancy ways of saying it helps us make things like estrogen and testosterone, but it also helps us make things like cholesterol. So uh, vitamin D is a structural component of a lot of our cells and helps us to build healthy bones. That's the thing that most people remember. 
deficiencies in vitamin D uh, typically are going to lead to things like rickets, which is the big thing that people think about. That's usually in in small children that have deficiency. And there is some back and forth. Uh, honestly, this has been a hot topic for a couple of decades at this point about what it really means to be vitamin D deficient as an adult. Uh, it's less impactful uh, as far as we are able to see uh, than it would be in a kid. So for kids, sun safety and 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 mitigating that sun exposure, radiation exposure versus getting enough vitamin D is absolutely something that we have to strike a hard balance on. Right. And one thing that I've been told by my doctor is that I am slightly vitamin D deficient, especially like during the winter months where the, the there are shorter days, et cetera. So what are some of the benefits like of going out in the sun and really absorbing the sun? Does it have anything to do with like mood um, or, or anything in, in regards to, to that side of what vitamin D can do for you? Well, so vitamin D doesn't do that. The sun does that. And that's a whole separate pathway. There's a mm. lot of confusion about that. And, and so we see that happening kind of frequently that people will get this idea that, oh, well, I've got to get a lot of vitamin D so that I can fix my bones or I can improve my mood or I can do X, Y, or Z. And, and honestly, there's been a lot of research over the last 20 years that's shown that we don't get a whole lot of benefit out of doing a whole lot of extra vitamin D. Wow, for adults now for yeah. kids yeah so for kids different story they've got to build strong healthy bones and they need some some of that vitamin d structural component more than we as adults do uh the benefits of the sun though in terms of things like mood are actually kind of the centers of the brain that focus on on production of certain hormones and controlling our circadian rhythms and so it's kind of tangential it's the same idea obviously you still need that light cues you still need the sunlight but it's actually very separate from the vitamin D pathway. The cool yeah, part is that that sunlight, the timing of it is uh, the, the important thing for things like mood. And so getting, you know, sun up to sundown, being awake and trying not to stay awake after the sun has gone down too long and not getting up too long before the sun comes up, that actually does help uh, improve brain function. It helps control our circadian rhythm and set us on that right path and helps us have a, a happier mood for sure. Man, so what you're telling me is that I should be putting my kids to bed like closer to when the sun actually goes down or it, does that have anything to do with with their bedtime that we should take into consideration? To some degree, yeah. There is a benefit to following the sun in terms of our brain chemistry and mimicking that as much as we can like during the winter months when the sun goes down much earlier if we are going to stay up kind of a similar amount of time. Uh, we want to mimic with our lights, our electric lights, that similar kind of process. Now, that has less to do with the radiation side of the sun, uh, more to do with the light part. Um, and so you can get those same cues without the UV radiation by using lights. Um, but yeah, the idea of following the sun for kids and for adults is pretty big. Yeah, that's fascinating. Now, I want to talk about, you know, the return to vitamin D and some of the ways that that helps kids grow, especially with their bones. You know, we talk about um, like we, we drink a lot of like whole milk here in the house, especially, mm -hmm. you know, for Aria specifically, Deanna and I don't yep. because I'm lactose intolerant. That'd be terrible. But if I, <laughs> but with Aria, if, uh, you know, if, if kids aren't, you know, into milk or anything like that, we're, we're lucky that Aria loves milk, but what are some other ways that parents can really get, you know, vitamin D in that, in that regard, if perhaps they don't like milk? There's a lot of, um, I shouldn't say there are a lot. There are several ways that you can do that, but the most prominent ways are going to be by supplementing it directly. Um, for newborns, especially breastfed newborns, exclusively breastfed newborns that 
moms aren't taking in a fair amount of vitamin D or aren't making a fair amount of vitamin D, then we oftentimes will encourage the use of vitamin D drops mixed in with their formula or with their breast milk. We've had that for to, um, yeah for Jake and Ari at one point with mm-hmm. with yep. the uh, well with formula specifically, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it depends on the formulas. Some formulas have vitamin D supplemented uh, as part of the the formula for the formula, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, but 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 some of the uh, breastfed infants, uh, if your if your moms aren't getting enough vitamin D in themselves, then it doesn't translate into the breast milk as well. And so we do drops basically that just get added in directly. Uh, for older kids, a standard uh, multivitamin uh, that has uh, about four hundred IU's of so I use our international units. That's one of the ways that we kind of standardize how we dose things. Uh, it's kind of like if you talk about milligrams, that's that's one wet unit of measurement. I use kind of cross because we're talking about very different numbers in, in this case because it's it's per liter. And so so international units, 400 international units a day uh, is kind of the, the target that you want. And those can be found in a lot of different supplements. The other thing is, is if they're not fond of milk specifically, milk-containing products, uh, so things like yogurt or cheese, are going to have some vitamin D in them as well. And there are a few other um, uh, foods that you can get that have those. Uh, but but as far as kids go, uh, the safest and, and probably easiest way to get the right amount without overshooting uh, is to use the, the drops or the other uh, supplements. The reason for that, obviously, is vitamin D is what we call a fat-soluble vitamin, and if you get too much of it, it's actually not good for you either. So not enough or too much can both be bad. Yeah, I remember both of our kids got super constipated. They're going to hear this in about, like, 10 years and be like, Dad, but they got super <laughs> constipated, and we had to actually cut the vitamin D drops, and the doctor was like, that's fine, you know, it is what it is. But yeah, is that a side effect or what else? It absolutely can be. Um, there can be other effects on the skin and the hair that are sometimes going to show up. It, it's usually not going to cause excess uh, deposition of uh, calcium in other places, although in adults there is some concern that supplementing vitamin D and calcium can also cause issues with vascular health. And we don't really know in kids as much um, because, honestly, it's pretty rare to overdose a kid on vitamin D. It just sure. usually doesn't happen um, unless they've got some other kind of genetic disorder. So from that standpoint, the, the goal is to just, you know, they want to get some. Uh, trying to shoot for the, the bare minimum is, is acceptable because usually our bare minimum for kids especially is set a little higher than what they actually probably need. And so if you're getting close to it, you're probably going to be just fine. Gotcha. Gotcha. No, very, very knowledgeable. So now shifting a bit to summertime, you know, we're sitting here with, at least in Virginia, we get into the hundreds and it's humid as hell and we have a lot of fun you know outside especially with the kids but we also want to be very responsible with with the kids and and especially like this time of year um talk to me about summer just safety in general and then i have some specific questions for you you know just about how to keep your kids safe in the sun and around some of these really hot temperatures as far as the sun specifically goes uh the classic kind of protection methods, if you will, are going to be the sunscreens. That's what everybody thinks about, right? You think right. about the, the, the solar babies and the other, you know, all of the different brand names and things. The idea there is you need something that's going to stop. So, so essentially the sun is producing UVA and UVB radiation. I'm not going to go too far down that rabbit hole, but essentially it's putting out these high energy particles that are coming at us at all times when we're in the sun that when they hit our cells can do damage and they can do damage to 
DNA, they can do damage to the repair mechanisms, and if that doesn't get fixed, that's what leads to wrinkles and photo aging issues. It leads to uh, sunburn. So it's the thing that, just like any other radiation exposure, you can get physical burns, and just like any other you know heat burns or chemical burns, it, it causes damage to those cells. The goal of those sunscreens is to stop that kind of damage from happening. And there are two major types that we talk about. We've got the organic and the inorganic types. The most common that most people think about are going to be the inorganic types, especially these days. Uh, those are the ones that have titanium dioxide or, or uh, some of the magnesium compounds. And the ideas there are blocking UVA and UVB both with a physical barrier. And so classically, when you'd see the lifeguards with the big white nose, that's that titanium dioxide kind of, of filter. Um, they have, because of the cosmesis of those kinds of things and how people look and people wanting to look more like themselves and yeah. don't, you know, there's a whole thing about tanning beds and other stuff that we're not even going to dive into. But, but that whole idea, because of that, they've actually micronized or, or made super small particles of those titanium dioxide and magnesium, um, I'm sorry, zinc oxide and those, those zinc oxide and titanium dioxide micronized forms are clearer. They're not bright white. They still make you a little paler than you look when you start. If you've ever right. put on sunscreen and seen the white kind of uh, shadow or, or shading or lightening of the skin, that's a uh, effect of those. But the smaller particles make it easier for you to see through. They don't have as much issue blocking the sun, even with the smaller particle, uh, as you would expect. So, so making it smaller doesn't make it less effective, which is really good. Um, and so, so those types of, of sunscreens are going to be your most common. And then the organic ones, those are, are actually, um, what we call aromatic compounds. And that doesn't mean, I mean, it does, it has a little bit to do with the fact that they smell, but it means that they have rings. And so their chemical structures are such that they stop UVA and UVB radiation. They kind of serve again as a barrier absorbing that radiation and, and the energy required to break those rings, uh, is also going to keep them from causing damage to the surface of the skin and, and deeper levels. Yeah, what do you mean by when you say rings? Like, what, what does that mean? So uh, if any of you are familiar with organic chemistry, you've probably studied these. If you aren't, then the crash course is this. Normally, when we think about molecules being put together, we think about carbon and hydrogen and oxygen and, and all of those molecules that are in us being stuck together, right? So we talk about carbon dioxide, which is CO2, right? So two molecules of oxygen bound to two molecules of carbon. The way that carbon bonds to different things, it has lots of different points where it can attach things. So it's kind of like your camera that has a bunch of different attachment points or, uh, you know, your backpack that has a different bunch of different things that can clip onto it. Carbon, when it clips to itself, uh, if you put six of them together, they will form a, essentially a hexagon. Uh, we call it a ring, but it's a it's a hexagon, essentially, that is just six carbon molecules forming that that diamond kind of shape. And so we call that an, a, a ring. That's the chemical term for it in chemistry. Gotcha. Okay, so that, first of all, that didn't give me a nosebleed. So that can tell you that, <laughs> it, that the average Joe understood what you said. So so thank you for that. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just want to make sure that. No, you're fine. That's a, that's a tricky thing to, to talk about some of these things without getting too deep into biochemistry because it really is a complex thing. Yeah. Um, the, the organic, uh, if you look at the history of sunscreens, the organic compounds have been kind of vilified over the last several decades because there is a chance that they can absorb just because they are uh, more likely they're fat soluble, which means that they can get in between uh, the cells. 
in small amounts, they don't really get uh, into the bloodstream at high levels, but at the levels that you really need to help protect you from the sun and protect you from sunburn and sun damage, they actually can. And so we really, especially in kids, we encourage uh, parents, excuse me, to stick to those inorganic filters. Yeah. So zinc oxide, titanium dioxide are not going to penetrate into the skin. They don't get into the bloodstream. Uh, they don't penetrate deeply into the skin, I should say. There are, they do get down into the dermis levels, but they're not getting into the bloodstream like the organic types can. And so when you go to look for a sunscreen, looking for those inorganic filters that are what we call broad spectrum, that means they cover both UVA and UVB, that's what you're really looking for. That's then divided by what they call SPF or sun protection factor. And that's a, you know, that's the part that tells you how well it's going to protect you around the 40 minute mark of having it on, uh, protect you from those uh, ultraviolet rays. And so SPF, sun protection factor of 30 or greater is what's recommended when we talk about adults and kids both. We want something that's going to block out uh, that significant amount of sun and keep us from getting sunburnt and doing damage to the skin. So why, if that's what's recommended, why does like an SPF 15 exist? The short answer is this, an SPF 15 is actually sufficient to protect you if you put it on the right way. But most people don't put them on the right way. And it's a problem that it's really hard to fix. There's something called a teaspoon rule. And some of you may have heard of it, you may have heard of it, you may not have, but essentially the rule basically says that for your head and your neck, you need to take a teaspoon of sunscreen SPF, uh, to get the full SPF sun protection factor, you need a teaspoon for your head and your neck, a teaspoon for each of your arms, two teaspoons for your legs, each leg. And so two teaspoons for, for right leg, two teaspoons for the left leg. Oh, okay. And then another two teaspoons for the body, the trunk. Um, that's a lot of sunscreen. That is. Uh, most people barely put on a teaspoon of sunscreen for their whole body. And if you are using half of what it takes for a good true coverage, then you actually cut by a th you cut down to a third of the sun protection. So if you put on SPF 30, the way most people put on sunscreen, you're really getting about an SPF 10 protection. Wow. I had no idea that that, that it required that much sunscreen. Yeah. You have to slather it on. Uh, you basically are, you're going to be caking it on in you're order like to using really honestly. You're like half a bottle, dude. <laughs> Almost, yeah. I mean, for for an adult size person, yeah. For kids, it's a little bit less, obviously. But but for for an adult, it is a massive amount of sunscreen. And especially if you're using the inorganic sunscreens, you're going to be walking around looking like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. I mean, or at least me. <laughs> I, I'm I'm rounder in the middle. So so you know, the idea of putting that much sunscreen on it, it really goes against what most people kind of think of when they think of putting on sunscreen. Wow, I had no so so the thirty is going to help compensate for that thirty or, or higher. Yeah, exactly. So if you get to a fifty, you're getting close to that thirty coverage, even if you're only putting on a little bit. Now this is actually this is my big question. So when you're thinking about SPF, let's just say thirty and up, because that's kind of what's recommended. Mm -hmm. How do you know, listening to this, that your kid is going to need something as strong as an SPF fifty or higher? The I don't short know if answer, you make a higher, well. But. They do. They actually make up to 100, wow. um, okay. 100 plus. And the, the problem is need is a very strong term, but you almost find out the hard way because you put a 30 on and you put it on the right way and the kid comes back and they still got a, a response to the sun, whether that's uh, tanning or burning or whatever. That means that the SPF was not sufficient. 
Um, and more important, honestly, than the total SPF. The SPF is important, don't get me wrong, but if you get to a 30 and you're putting it on consistently, you're going to get better sun protection than if you get a SPF 100 and you don't put it on the right way. Mm, okay. So every two hours, especially if you're getting wet, reapplying that sunscreen is a big deal. And so making sure that you put on that thin coat or thick coat of sunscreen yeah. uh, every two hours and doing it, uh, especially if you're going to be getting wet uh, frequently, is, is incredibly important. Yeah, so the, other so thing the stuff is, that's waterproof, by the way, just on that, just on that note, is the stuff that says waterproof or water resistant. So, should people so be they cannot that? they can't put waterproof on it anymore. So oh. since the early two thousands, uh, they can't it cannot be put waterproof because it is not waterproof. There is no way to make yeah. it waterproof. Water resistant means that it will last that forty minutes. You can stretch that out to an eighty minute kind of cut. So water resistant or very water resistant, but they cannot call it waterproof any longer. Gotcha. So okay. it is it, no matter what you're putting on, whether it's and you're whether you're talking about sweat or water or humidity or whatever, every two hours. Yeah. Okay. That you're blowing my mind. Okay. Sorry. Didn't mean to interrupt you. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. It's it these are the questions that most parents don't really get a lot of information on unless you're talking to your doctor about it or listening to the dad chronicle (laughs) (laughs) Listen to to this doctor (laughs) so 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 yeah the the problem unfortunately is the compounds that they're using they go on the surface of the skin and they're not absorbing which means that anything that can wash them off will and so if you're if you're working with things that especially if you're working around soaps or washing your hands after you go to the bathroom you're now taking that thin layer of of oily kind of um emulsion if you will uh, the the inorganics especially uh you're washing that off it just comes off like if you wash your hands uh trying to get off oils and dirt from from day-to-day activity so putting that back on is incredibly important and then the other side of that the other thing that a lot of folks these days are using because you mentioned the higher spfs the other thing that a lot of folks use are those sprays those have an alcohol base and they still leave behind the the especially the inorganic compounds but they have to evaporate for them to leave that layer. And so if you're wet and you put on a spray sunscreen, you've now added water into the mix and it won't evaporate as quickly. And so that layer isn't solidifying the same way. So you really have to be very careful with those in terms of the water. They're a lot easier and it's a lot easier to spray down a a wiggly two-year-old than it is to try to wipe them down with the, the sunscreen by hand. But you have to absolutely make sure that they're dry and the surface of the skin is dry before you try to put those on. Dude, that's, yeah, I didn't even think about that. God, this is, yeah, that's, this is great information. Now I want to go back to something that you talked about getting tanned and is that, so your body's reaction to the tanning process, uh, is that a negative thing? Because I think back to when I was a kid, I, and still to this day, I tan very easily. And I, and I think that my Mm -hmm. daughter can and does and will because she ha- kind of has the same coloring I do. Um, mm-hmm. We just kind of look at the sun the wrong way, and all of a sudden we're dark. So, uh, <laughs> is that a bad response? Like, what's your what's your reaction to that? So, so the short answer is, we talk about good and bad a lot, but unhealthy and healthy are what we're really kind of mean. Sure. And so, just to, to clarify, yes, from an, a health perspective. The the problem with tanning or burning either one is damage to the surface of the skin. Both are indicating damage. 
And so the darkening color is a protective effect. It's our body saying we need to increase this pigment so that you don't get more of that radiation going through because those darker pigments will absorb more of the radiation and keep the, the tissues deep to that. So anything under the surface of the skin from getting damaged as easily. That's why folks have different skin tones. Yeah. Uh, that's the same across the board. And so if you live close to the equator, there are a lot of populations that have very dark skin tones that live close to the equator. And people that are from northern climates, like redheads like me, we have a lot less of that pigment because in those areas, you didn't get as much sunshine. You couldn't make as much vitamin D. And so the pigment didn't develop as much because if it did, it blocked the sun. You didn't get the vitamin D and you didn't survive. Right. So, so we had this sort of protective effect we started off with a lot of pigment we lost it and now we're trying to kind of unfortunately trying to get it back because that's the cool thing to do and the, the problem is is that when we try to get it back we're actually trying to get our bodies to do something that they weren't really set up to do from the start so it does some damage it, it does cause premature wrinkling it does cause potentially some risks for skin cancers uh, burns are much more worrisome when it when we talk about skin cancer Right. But tanning itself, uh, any kind of UV radiation exposure can absolutely cause damage to the DNA that can eventually uh, kind of make things more. They can make the environment more suited to developing cancers. It's not that they're causing skin cancer. That's, a, that's kind of a tricky thing to distinguish, but but they do make it so it's easier for your body to, to develop skin cancer. Yeah. Yeah. That, and that's an interesting factor and distinction because a lot of people say that tanning causes cancer or skin cancer and you know there's it's what you're saying is that it creates more of an environment for it to be a possibility yeah it's it's making it much more likely yeah. is a better way to put it gotcha it, you know there still has to be that 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 cell that goes rogue and decides it's going to do something that doesn't fit and sure. it's not doing that consciously it's not making a choice but those different types of damage, you know, if we if we get, let's say it takes 15 damage, pieces of damage to the to the DNA, that sun damage can do 10 of those. And so those other five may come from other sources and eventually you end up with a skin cancer. You may have genetic predisposition. So you may already have some breaks that were already there as part of uh, what you were born with. And so it, it really is a multifactorial thing. But the fewer things that we do to make that environment such that it is easier the sure. less chance we have of developing those cancers. It's kind of yeah. like avoiding charred meats and avoiding lots of, of radiation exposure from nuclear weapons and other things like that. I mean, there's, there's, you know, there it's, it's a, it's a continuum, right? You know, yeah. there's, there's all these really bad things. And then there are these kind of bad things. And, and the sun is one of those things that gets a bad rap. We do need the vitamin D. We do need the sun exposure, but we also don't need all that extra UV radiation that causes burns and, and significant tans. Yeah. Very well said. I, I want to, think about because i actually want to move on to a, a slightly different topic around summertime mm -hmm. uh but just thinking about tangibles that parents listening to this can walk away from this conversation with like is are there any like tangible practices that parents should be doing like regularly in the sun to protect their kids in that manner absolutely thanks for that bump set i'll spike it <laughs> um so applying a sunscreen with a SPF of 30 or higher every two hours following the label instructions, especially for kids using the inorganic formulations is the best way to go. So uh, a zinc oxide or titanium dioxide containing broad spectrum is the term they use sunscreen with SPF 30 or higher every two hours. And whether that's outdoor work, sports, recreation, whatever, 
The other big thing is clothing. And so they covering areas that would be sun exposed, hats, sunglasses, long sleeves. Those are all things that can also decrease the chances of developing sunburn or other sun damage. So those are the two really big things. And then for infants under six months old, they really need to stay out of the sun as much as they possibly can because they have essentially their skin is brand new. It doesn't know what to do with all of this stuff that's going on. And so it is incredibly sensitive to sun exposure. And because it's so thin and new, it doesn't do well with uh, the organic sunscreens for sure, but even the inorganic sunscreens, we still want to be ultra careful with because there's not a lot of good data to show, you know, what the benefits or the risks are for those inorganic compounds for babies as well. Wow. Okay. I didn't even know that about infants. I mean, and that was something that I was going to ask was if we have to do anything different. So I'm glad that you went there. Thank you for reading my mind. Very good. Anytime. Jake is now, he, he's past the six month mark, but still, should we be doing anything uh, special for him considering he's still under one so sleeves hats and then inorganic sunscreens primarily just like we talked about uh, and using those oh, away from the eyes uh, you know so anywhere where there's a bony prominence so the cheekbones the forehead those are places you can put stuff like that um, you just want to try to keep it out of the eyes as much as you can and then on the backs of the hands or any other exposed skin the legs especially um, just very thin layers applied fairly frequently and uh, he should be okay beautiful all right well thank you for that i want to talk about a different aspect of summertime you know that we deal with especially here in virginia one of the things that the weather folks constantly talk about is air quality and Mm -hmm. humidity and stuff we live in a swamp basically so Mm -hmm. um i literally live in a swamp i get it yeah and, and now that you're in florida you know what that's like what should we be taking into consideration as parents of young kids or really anybody? Cause this is people with pets. This is people just in, in general walking around. Uh, how does bad air quality this time of year affect people and kids and how should we be uh, trying to mitigate the damage that could be caused by that? So a fairly broad question. So I'm going to try to narrow it down just a smidge. Sure. Air quality can take into effect things like smog. It can take into effect, like you said, things like humidity. What it's really saying is how easy is it for you to breathe this air and get the oxygen you need and get rid of carbon dioxide and blow off moisture and temperature and, and still be okay. Um, and so just to kind of put a, a definition on it so that we kind of know what we're talking about. Absolutely. Um, the, the problem with... Poor air quality is that folks that have issues with asthma or COPD, uh, so all of the lung-based diseases, essentially, uh, anybody that has an issue with um, sensitivity to those compounds, uh, so there may be things that you're allergic to, so high pollen counts can, can, can contribute to air quality as well. Oh, okay. Those are all going to cause what we call a reactive effect. So your body is trying to protect you from something that shouldn't be there. And one of the main ways that does that is by swelling up. And so most folks have experienced that time where they go outside and they feel like they can't catch their breath or they feel like they are, their nose just kind of swells shut. uh, That feeling of just being full in your face and in your head. Those all are natural defense mechanisms kicking in, trying to keep that stuff from getting down to the lungs where it can cause that same kind of swelling and irritation. Oh, wow. That's a defensive mechanism then. Exactly. Yeah. it's, It's our body trying to protect us. And so the idea of 
kind of how what do you do with the air quality is at certain air quality levels, folks that have significant problems, so truly diagnosed asthmatics or people that that it seems like they may have asthma, truly diagnosed people with COPD or folks that have really bad allergies need to be very careful being out and about during kind of daytime hours mm-hmm. because those those particulates and all of those other uh, kind of uh, invaders in the air, if you will, are going to get into the airways and cause that swelling and response that's going to cause you to feel pretty doggone bad and can, in fact, in really bad cases, can lead to to folks with COPD or asthma having severe attacks or ending up in the hospital or, or you know, worst case scenario, having having issues with, with breathing. And so the goal is to stay indoors during those times uh, when those numbers start to get pretty bad and, and different ways of measuring air quality mean different numbers are bad. So I'm not going to give specifics, but just knowing if you look at that number and whatever rating system you're using, they usually use the red, yellow, green. That's a good way of looking at it. If it's in the green, then you can spend some time outside. But if you start feeling tight or short of breath, then you need to go back inside. Right. And if it's not getting better, then you need to talk to a healthcare professional and make sure everything's okay. Wow. Yeah, that's that's good. I mean, I've always heard to you know listen to your body and stay inside when it comes to some of the poor air quality that especially mm-hmm. we in the D.C. area deal a lot with with the humidity here. But actually putting Absolutely. some some emphasis on like what could go wrong and kind of the why Mm -hmm. behind it. That's fascinating. So thanks for sharing that. Um, You know, as we wrap up this conversation, what I wanted to do was just kind of revisit your, your words of wisdom for just a moment. You know, you've talked about some of the benefits of vitamin D. You've talked about some very tangible ways that people can protect themselves and their kids with uh, sunscreen and, you know, staying out of the sun and the poor air quality. But if you were to talk us through like, you know, some departing like words of wisdom from yourself, what would you tell this audience at home who's listening to this and and wanting to, you know, really glean some some good knowledge here? It's okay to be in the sun, but not too much. Just like everything else, there is a threshold, there's a limit. And so making sure that you're choosing smart times to be outdoors whether that's for sun exposure or air quality or both. Make sure that you're protecting yourself against the sun if you do have to be outside, especially during the hours of 10 and 2 when that that UV uh, radiation is going to be highest. And make sure that you're using things that are going to keep you safe, like broad-spectrum SPF 30 or higher sunscreens, uh, sleeves, hats, sunglasses. And if you do have any kind of long-term questions about or significant questions about the sun exposure that you've had, or you have things that start to pop up that don't look normal, you start getting skin reactions, whether that's a sunburn or anything else, make sure that you check in with your healthcare provider to make sure that there's not something more significant going on. Totally. Yeah. And there, there are people like Deanna who, uh, you know, Deanna's got some conditions where she goes into a dermatologist regularly to just get stuff mm-hmm. checked out and, you know, they, they've had to, you know, take a look at her and everything's been, you know, benign and everything, but doing those checks, it's, it's so worth it. You know, you don't mm-hmm. want it to, Absolutely. you don't want it to, to spread or become more serious. So, uh, Dr. Jerry Tolbert, thank you so much. Now, if people wanted to follow you or anything that you got going on, I know you're, you're kind of in the midst of a move and you're, you talked about moving to Florida there, but, uh, mm-hmm. if there was anything creative going on in your world, I want to give you a chance to pimp it. So anything that you want to talk about? So nothing creative at the moment, other than obviously being a guest here right now, but I, 
as things do come up, if we do decide to to resurrect any of the podcasts that I've been on or, or I start doing some new stuff, the best place to find that is at Dr. Tolbert, at D-R-T-O-L-B-E-R-T on Twitter. Absolutely. And we'll make sure that we have a link to your Twitter in the uh, in the show notes. So again, thank you so much for being on the show, my man. Again, our guest has been Dr. Jerry Tolbert. Appreciate you. Thanks. It was good to be here. Thanks again to Dr. Tolbert for joining me on today's episode. And if you have any thoughts or comments or questions, feel free to email the Dad Chronicle podcast at gmail.com. And as a reminder, this episode, as well as all others, are made possible by our patrons. You can become a patron and get some great rewards by heading over to supportadad.com. Thank you again to all of our patrons who have supported this show over the years. It's greatly appreciated. Even if you have $1 a month or more to give, that helps us tremendously. So again, head over to supportadad.com. Become a patron today. Thanks again for listening. And remember, be good to yourself and be good to others. Take care. If you like this show, check out more great content at incastmedianetwork.com.